it was fatal. The eyes of the two girls met, and immediately, Lazareline sat up in the litter and burst out at the top of her voice, Erevis, what on earth are you doing here? Your father, there was not a moment to lose. Without a second's delay, Erevis let go of the horses, caught the edge of the litter, swung herself up beside Lazareline, and whispered in her ear, shut up. Do you hear? Shut up. You must hide me. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast, where we are doing a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Chase. And I'm Kel. Thank you all for joining us today. Just a reminder that today we're talking about the third book in the series, The Horse and His Boy, but general spoiler warning for the whole Narnia series and a heads up that we talk about all sorts of books and stories and random things that we like. And so we'll do our best to give spoiler warnings along the way, but just a heads up. We're probably going <laughs> to... We're going to go. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to talk about random stuff. But today, uh, we are discussing The Horse and His Boy, Chapter 7, Erevis in Tashban. We close our last chapter with the coming of Brennan Hui, and now we rewind the clock to see the story unfold from Erevis's perspective as she witnesses the kidnapping of Shasta by the Nardians. Not wanting to blow their cover, her and the horses keep calm and quiet until she is recognized by her old Tarkina friend, Lazareline, hereafter done simply as Laz. Laz calls out to Erevis, who tells her to be quiet and to hide her so she's not discovered. After some back and forth where Laz wants her friend and the people of Tashban to admire her new dress and Erebus wants to be taken away to somewhere secret, Laz agrees to help her friend and the two horses to be taken to safety at her home. Laz lets Erebus know that her father is looking for her and for some reason, Erebus lets Laz know that the two horses are actually Narnian talking horses. So, you know, treat him with kindness and respect, I guess. Laz redundantly uh, threatens her servants with several kinds of death if they talk about Erebus or the horses and then gets her old friend to bath some new clothes, and a meal before she hears Erebus's story. While she can't understand why her friend wouldn't want to be married, uh, to be forced to be married to the cruel hunchback that is Ahoshta Tarkin, but he's rich, she says. She does agree to help her friend escape through the palace of the Tisrock. May he live forever. A close and dear friend of Laz's. Erebus tells her equine friends of the escape plan and marks er, and makes her way through uh, the palace with Laz before they are nearly discovered by the Tisrock, may he live forever, who apparently is not as close a friend to Laz as she would have you believe, and Laz is terrified at the prospect of being discovered. They hide in a side room, and the chapter ends with them hiding from the Tisrock, may he live forever, his entourage, and Erevis's betrothed husband. All right, the theme of this chapter uh, is disillusionment. It's illusions, Michael, illusions. <laughs> Disillusions. Um, Disillusions. Yeah, the the idea that the thing that you thought was true, the discovery that it's not, and the aftermath of that. Mm, uh, thank you, Webster. Yes, amen. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this chapter opens up with uh, basically three chapters ago, four. Yep. And yeah, quick, quick rewind. That's yeah, cool. flashback. Flashback, um, where basically... Air, we're back with Erevis's side of the story where she sees Shasta get swooped up by King Edmund and the Narnians, which apparently Edmund is hot, according to Erevis. Hey, and hey. and Laz, uh, it comes up several she times. Don't, she, don't, she don't mind the view. 
yeah, she she thinks that their way of dressing is much more manly than which, as we fashion. as we as we are aware, they're wearing like shorts. So Erevis likes some leg. Uh, I guess so. She's going. For it. They they were wearing short shorts before it was fratty. Ow! ow! <laughs> is Edmund wearing vineyard vines? <laughs> are those chubbies? I we really hope not. We really hope not. But we do realize that Erevis and the horses are super cool under pressure. They stay calm. They stay quiet. They stay collected. Well, that is until, uh, you know, literally like one paragraph later when uh, her friend Lazaraline, uh, we're going to call her Laz because I don't want to say Lazaraline every time. Yeah, it's easy to trip over. But Erevis, Erevis, hey, hey, Erevis. Eris, hey, hey. Is that you, Erevis? I hate her. She's the worst. I hate her. Hey, Erevis. Erevis. That's for sure the kind of girl Laz is. But turns out Erevis is old friends with this girl named Laz. And Laz immediately recognizes her, calls out to her, and almost blows her cover. And Erevis does some, like, born ultimatum moves here and, like, jumps into the litter and tells her, her to shut her mouth into into yeah. her carriage, and no one does anything. Like she's got armed guards around her, and they're just very cool with this like girl who's dressed as we assume like a traveler or a street urchin. Yeah, of some she's sort. wearing like rags, <laughs> like just jumping into the carriage with Laz. Like this is craziness. Uh, but Laz likes the attention, and this is something we're gonna like notice about her character. She's very self-focused she's very self-centered and but she so she likes the attention and she's like oh what is it oh you want me to stop talk and she's like shut your mouth you need to stop talking and then i need you to grab those horses and then i need you to get us out of sight yeah i i fully get mindy from the office vibes from last <laughs> it's like very just like preppy first, girl do you have any questions for us me. yeah first of all how dare you uh <laughs> I I think that's fair. I, I like it a lot. All we, we know that Laz wants to be seen, and Erebus wants to be hidden. Uh, and so Laz wants to know all about Erebus's tale, so she says. Uh, but she is much more concerned with her new dress. She's like, she's all over the place here. Like one moment, she's like, oh, my friend. The other was like, what do you think about my dress? Oh, man, like your dad's looking for you. Uh, and I mean, she's like, wait, What? <laughs> It's very Great Gatsby, the just lack of awareness that comes with wealth. You don't Absolutely. have to actually care if you uh, if you can do what you want and you're rich. Absolutely, yeah. She's she I think is meant to epitomize like the high culture of like high class culture of like frivolity and like yeah. disassociation from like real world issues. Yeah, this is this is the capital. This is the. Mm. Yeah, and and listeners, I mean the capital from Hunger Games, not the capital as in this is literally the capital of Tashban. So uh I, I think that's pretty spot on. Uh but there's so they they have this like little back and forth where Last lets Erebus know that her father is actually in town and looking for her. And, like, she thinks this whole situation is hilarious. She is laughing and laughing. And Erevis uh, is like, yo, what? Like, you need to get me out of here. And she's like, but there's no point in having a new dress on in, if, if no one's going to go and see me. 
And it's like, that's fair. You know what? Yeah. Like, when you look good, you want people to know. Look, but sometimes you just got to flex on the haters, you know? You, you got to flaunt on them a little bit. Uh, but there's a time and a place, Laz. Yeah, Laz not- is out here in her brand new Gucci, and she just she got to show that off. Yeah. She's just trying to work it. And Erebus is like, hush, I need you to hide me. And then I also need you to go take care of those horses. But make sure you treat them respectfully because part of my secret is that those horses are actually talking Narnian horses. Which, <laughs> why are you saying this? Yeah, it. I don't think that part gets out too widely because, I mean, like, why goodness. would you let them go? It really becomes completely inconsequential that she tells them because they still get treated like horses and sure. like fed subpar oats, according to Bree. It's, it's a really good thing that Laz is so self-concerned and so oblivious to the plight of her friend and her horse friends. Uh, because if this is like this is huge news. These are talking horses. These are Narnian horses. Like that's a big deal. And like Erevis for being quote unquote like good under pressure and knowing how to handle herself why would you share this information that's like the thing that they talked about a couple chapters ago where you say hey don't let anyone know that these are talking horses yeah the whole point is that they were supposed to not get found out but here we are and yeah it more than actually outing the horses as talking horses it just gives Laz a chance to uh, talk smack about the Narnians because she's apparently Susan. Not impressed. Other, otherwise noted as one of the most beautiful women in the land, one of the most desired among the princes of the various surrounding kingdoms. Adored by Prince Ravadash. Yeah. And Laz is like, eh, she, she's okay. But have you seen these dudes, though? <laughs> have you seen the Narnian men? Is that Edmund's well, music? Yeah, all one of them, because he's the only human man there. Well, no, they said that they had some other people with them. They had like some attendants. Did so, they? Because that just yeah. brings back up where the heck did these Nor- these other men in Narnia come from? It does bring that up, Chase. It does. And we're just going to leave it there. Unless so- she's really into Tumnus, which let's hope not for her sake. <laughs> Is but- that a furry goat man? Oh, <laughs> Nope. Uh, all right, sweet. Moving on. Uh, so uh, she she does she does think that you know Edmund's got it going on. She's unimpressed with Susan. So you know it is what it is. Uh, and she so they uh, they make their way to the palace, and she says like Erebus is like, hey, I need you to make sure that none of your servants talk about me being here. And she's like, oh yeah, totally. She goes, anyone I catch talking about this young lady will be first beaten to death. First, beaten to yep. death. And then, and then second, burned alive. And then third, will be kept on bread and water for six weeks. One, this is extreme. Two, sure, sure. I don't think Laz understands how torture works. Uh, because if you, like kill someone, a pretty good idea. if you kill someone at step one, burning them alive doesn't do anything and starving them also doesn't do anything. Yeah. Which, I mean, you could kill somebody and then burn the body, as we learned from Game of Thrones. But, yeah, sure. the uh, kept on bread and water for six weeks feels like the actual punishment of, of this. Bread and water sounds like step one. Sure, and, sure. And then Which also, them. like, 
they're their servants, how, how elaborate meals are they getting now? What level of punishment is this bread and water? It seems like question. she's kinder to her servants. If that's the actual outcome, then Aramis I like is. to I like to think that she's never actually punished a servant before. I don't think that's probably true, but oh. I like to think that she's never done it, and so she just isn't good at you know giving these threats. And so she's just like, this is what people do. They starve servants, and they beat them, and they burn them alive. Yeah, but she just casual. gets the order a runs little wrong and runs in the family, gets the order a little wrong. But, you know, who can blame her? Uh, she's 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 too focused on her on her own self to know about how to torture servants. Yeah. Right? But I mean, at least she is quick to offer a bath. Man, um, here's the thing. Which for here to for as to a guest, but also for as for as self-involved as she is, she's really helpful. Like yeah, no, I actually really like Les. She's <laughs> she's because she actually does like help Erebus break into his yeah. palace. She strategizes with it. They talk past each other. They don't understand each other's places in life right. and desires. But <laughs> as an actual friend, she's pretty right or die. Yeah, she's kind of like for me. She reminds me of Karen from the Mean Girls, uh, where she's like, you know what? Like she's a good friend. Uh, she's definitely one of the popular girls and like for sure is a mean girl, but like, you know what? She's not that bad. Which, like, I mean, I feel like if the Tarquinas of this story are going to be compared to anyone, it would be a mean girls. Sure. Absolutely. But like, she does offer Erebus a bath and then she gets her new clothes. Uh, and um, then she like feeds her a really good meal. Uh, but, she's you know, very hospitable. It's just not appreciated by Erebus who just wants to get out of there. Sure. It's not appreciated. And also like she's, you know, she doesn't, she's, she likes to talk more than listen, which, you know, I can vibe with that. Uh, I, I feel that. Uh, but we, so I, when it's talking about her eating the food, there's again, one of these little CS Lewis lines that he throws in there that you're like, this has no payoff. Yeah. That has no reward. This has, this never going to be brought up again, but she goes like, Oh man, like while I was eating like dinner, it would have been way better if it wasn't for Laz's spoiled pet monkey. What? Like, it, why is this in here? Yeah, makes no sense. Doesn't come up again. Doesn't matter to that scene. Nope. It, yeah. Why Why not? Is, is this just to be, be Aladdin? Is she, is she Aladdin? There's it, a lot of people who are Aladdin in this story. That's racist. Um, the uh, the food caught my attention in that scene. Of it was basically just like ice cream. They had ice cream for dinner. Well, I mean, these are like teenage girls, so I mean, yeah. But also, he he acted like it was like a meal meal, and then it's like yeah, they had a meal of the ice with milk variety. Sure. Like, is that a meal? Does that count? I don't, I don't see what you're getting at, Chase. This seems fine to me. I mean, uh, look, I'm not saying I haven't done it recently. I'm just saying it's it's weird for C.S. Lewis to treat that as a meal. You know what? He's writing a kid's story. Uh, so he's basically just condemning all of these kids and their parents. Where he's like, you know what? Like, go eat some ice cream. Yeah. And, like, tell him C.S. Lewis sent you. Who needs teeth when you could have ice cream? I man, I love that quote. That's putting that on my letterboard. Uh, so, right. 
sure to quote me. Yeah, after after all of this, uh, they finally hear uh, Erebus finally tells uh, Laz her full story, and it's this whole interaction is really interesting and it's really telling of the two girls' characters because you're meant to look at how different these girls are and it'll talk about how different they are. But Laz's first reaction to all this isn't is, but darling, why don't you want to marry a Hoshta Tarkin? Like he's rich. He's powerful. He's now the Grand Vizier. Like, did I mention he's rich? Yeah. Did I mention that he's rich? He has like, three houses, especially that one by the lake. Um, excuse me? You could take baths in donkey milk, which I guess <laughs> that's a luxury. That's also not the word that he that they he use. He uses a different uh, word, but we're keeping this podcast PG. Family friendly. Yeah. This ain't this ain't Shrek. We're gonna use the word donkey. Uh, so, uh, but he's like, but he's rich, and she goes, "I don't care. I can't stand the sight of him. He can keep his pearls and palaces, as far as I'm concerned." And Laz is like, "You were always such a queer girl. What more do you want?" And I love that question. Yeah, I like that's such an interesting scope into the psychology of Laz and just like people who are, you know, in this upper echelon of wealth going like, what more could you want? Like he's rich and powerful and he has all of these things that he could give you. Like, what are you looking for? Yeah. And there's a few times in this chapter where the contrast of like Laz and Erevis are, are put up where like Lazarlene is, kind of this classical princess type of she's into dresses and parties and like gossip and all that world. And Erevis was always into like fishing and bows and arrows and being outside. And it's kind of this classic like prep versus tomboy trope. But here it really comes down to like the desire for the trappings of the upper class versus the desire for like freedom and being able to make your own decisions, which I mean, we talk about more and further up and further in, but it's, uh, it's interesting that those two personalities are the way that it's put out. Cause I, I actually don't think that's fair to Laz and the like, whatever you want to call it the that typology of person mm-hmm. uh, to say that oh well if someone is how i would perceive them as like vapid then it they must be super like into themselves and not wanting freedom whereas me if i'm empowered then that means that i've got to be outdoorsy like that i, I don't like that distinction as much as just <clears throat> the actual contrast itself but i don't know what do you think Yeah, I mean, I think you see a lot of, like, C.S. Lewis is creating a lot of depth in his characters here, especially in female characters that you don't generally get in stories from, like, the 1950s and earlier. Uh, Eris still does not pass the Bechdel test, because they are talking about men whenever they're having this conversation. They are in this specific conversation, yeah. But previously, it would have, you know, their previous conversation was about them escaping, so... It would pass it previously, but not this time. Uh, but it, you you see this this girl who is wealthy, who has been raised this whole time, and who you would assume is going to play into the same like 
desires, same motivations that, you know, she, we've seen in the Tarkin and, you know, the other people so far. But like at the end of the day, she's helping her friend. She is generous. She does help her. She's, you know, going along with her. She provides like she may not understand and she may not like appreciate the values that Ervis holds, but she is still a good friend. And like she under she she gets it from a like intellectual point of view, but doesn't understand like the same motivations. And so like I think you have to recognize the depth in her character. Yeah. I actually and feel free to push back on this. I think uh, Laz is less self-aware, but actually not as selfish as Erebus. I think Erebus is selfish in a way that comes across in the way that she treats other people in a way that Laz actually shows herself not to be in, in this chapter. That's an interesting, it's an interesting point. Um, I don't necessarily know if I agree, but you see like throughout, like this is all from Erebus's perspective. So to give you, you know, credit here, like Erebus is only considering her own point of view here where it's like Laz just allowed her to like come into her carriage and, you know, disrupt her day, like to be an interruption and a, you know, a disruption to her plans. Like, she fed her, clothed her, bathed her. Is willing like, to expend her resources, her people, her time, yeah, put willing herself to, in physical danger. Yeah, and putting herself in, in risk with her her position in society, as we'll find out later with the Tizrock. So, like, self, self-involved, self like, I guess diving into the difference between, like, self-involved and selfish, uh, yeah. like, is an interesting... Even just self-aware and, and selfish, like... Yeah. She she doesn't notice that she is not letting the other person talk, which is a form of selfishness and self-involvement. Sure. But it the way that her actions actually play out are much more others, at least. I can fi- I can dig that. I think I think you've won me over. I think I can uh, I can respect that. That ultimately, like, our when you're looking at like selfishness, you're looking at two different forms of it in these two girls. Oh, for uh, sure. And yeah. you're going to see that all, selfishness. All the characters in this story are selfish. It's just yeah. the ways that they, they play out. Are Except all, for Cat Aslan. Well, Catlan is also uh, out here scratching people. So what can you do? Catalan. Catan? Catan. Catan? Uh, settlers of Catlan. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, I think that is an interesting point. I like this dichotomy of selfishness that you get here. Um, but as we, we move forward, we, uh, they decide to sneak through the Tizrock's garden, uh, who, you know, the Tizrock, may he live forever. Great friend. They hang out all the time. Uh, you know, we might as well be living at the palace cause they're, we're there every other day. Uh, but it's, so they decide to go through this plan. They're going to sneak through the gates, uh, by going through the Tizrock's palace um, you know, Laz potentially exaggerating her importance with the royals. Which uh, she does get let in. Like, yeah, they, they recognize her. But probably the Tizrock may not. Yeah, uh, it's like the difference between, like, it's like if you have, like, a coffee shop or a restaurant that you regular really frequently and the barista knows you or at least knows your name, it's like, trying to sell that off of like, Oh yeah, I'm like best friends with the owners. 
Yeah. And it's like, no, they, they, they know your order, but that's because you spend money there, not because you're like actually tight. Right. Uh, and so they decide to put this plan into motion. And while Laz uh, can't put herself in any of his shoes, she's trying. She's at least like being a good friend. And they decide that, you know, don't do tomorrow because there's a great feast. And I assume this is the great feast that the Narnians are hosting or planning. Um, it may or may not be. Who knows? Uh, but I know. it's, it's a, I, I read that and I was like, I wonder if this was like C.S. Lewis planting Easter eggs. Yeah, I didn't think of that, but she also doesn't come back and say, oh, it actually turned out to be something different. She just kind of comes back. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So, But they decide because of this great feast that they are going to go tomorrow. And Erebus doesn't want to wait, but she is really excited to sleep in an actual bed. Uh, Which, like, if you've ever traveled for a long time or been at a camp or something like that, like, that's a nice feeling. Just being able to, like, plop on a bed after something like that. So that's great. Uh, And then... After having like the night to think on it, uh, it says that Lazarine, Lazarine, Laz, uh, wanted to go back on the whole arrangement. She starts thinking about like how Narnia, like it's it's really interesting because her information about Narnia is clearly outdated because yeah. this takes place after the events of Chronicle well, or of Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yeah, not that far outdated though, because that was like less not than- far yeah. outdated. But they're also seeing the queen and king of Narnia uh, in their city. And like clearly, but it says uh, Narnia was a country of perpetual snow and ice inhabited by demons and sorcerers. And she was mad to think of going there. And with a peasant boy too, said Lazarine. How dare you? (laughs) So my chase, my question for you is what's worse? Demons and sorcerers in a land of perpetual snow or poor people. Oh, poor people, no question. <laughs> not, not, don't even have to think about it. No don't question. Think of it. It's not nice. It's not nice. Capital N. Yeah. I like to acknowledge. Why is it capitalized? No clue. Because it it's nice, the Platonian concept. Not nice, my subjective opinion. See, so when I read it capitalized, I thought that she was saying it's not nice. It's the, not the city, France, the city in France, which it's not. That's true. Like the, Narnia is not Nice. Yeah, would love to go to Nice personally. Really pretty. You should yeah. go. Beach town, south yeah. of France. Highly recommend. Super dope. Not in Narnia, and also Narnians wouldn't be aware of. So probably not that here. Nice, but nice. home to neither demons nor sorcerers nor perpetual snow nor poor people uh maybe and well there's probably some but it's probably pretty dang expensive to be honest it's probably pretty dang expensive so it's a beach town on the mediterranean it yeah you're probably gonna have a nice little price tag you might see an urchin boy without shoes on running through the city there too but it's uh it's not it's not the same riffraff street rap finish the chase we did it last one I don't put I, this on me, Cal. I don't buy that. Golly. Come I'm on now. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I gave you a heads up uh, last chapter or last podcast. and tried I didn't know I had to take notes. Well, I haven't seen it in a while. Well, now you know. But uh, as we're, as uh, Erebus is contemplating Nice and, you know, poor people and the, 
the luxuries of uh, of her past lifestyle, she begins to think that you know traveling with Shasta and the gang uh, would be more uh, more fun. It's it's more enjoyable and it's what she wants more than the fashionable and luxurious life that she was living. And so she she tells Laz that that's where she wants to go, and Laz is like, "But you could have been rich." True, which I wish. As much as I really do enjoy this chapter, I wish C.S. Lewis had explored her internal monologue more there. Like, I wish he had, like, dug just an inch deeper into the soil to tell us, like, why why does she favor that to traveling? Or why does she favor that to the luxury lifestyle? Because, like, there is the layer of performance and not feeling like you're able to have freedom there's layers of like it's not true to her and that's why she wants to leave but i wish that i feel like we could have gotten so much depth to her personality and her thinking than we actually did other than just the dichotomy of luxury versus like travel yeah but uh alas we do not and uh, as they are preparing for their uh, escape plan, uh, Erebus goes to Bree and Huen in the stables uh, to let them know of the plan. Really, I think more or less, because this is less than a page worth of dialogue and interaction, pretty sure it's just to let the reader know that they're actually alive and they're there. Yeah. Uh, to let us know that it was not consequential that she let people know that they're Narnian. Yep. Uh, nothing happened. Uh, inconsequential. They've been well taken care of. Uh, they've gotten good stuff. And then they leave. So, yeah. Oh, but Hwen, don't don't forget to complain about the oats. Because Bree makes sure to let her know that if they they're paying for the high-end oats, they're not getting it. They were fine. They were adequate. But yeah. they were not high-end. Yeah. Bree's got to work in one little gripe. And also, Quinn is still completely silent, does not talk, is not interacted with. Quinn <laughs> is like Susan in the last book. Yep. She's just there. She is horse Susan. <laughs> horse Susan, Catlan, uh, Hot Edmund. These are these are people that exist in this book. What a book. What a reality show. Woodwatch. Woodwatch, 10 out of 10. Is this the real world? Like, I love it. Uh, man, and if that's a reality show that just dated me, uh, that's that's tough. But it's circle, but Aslan is catfishing as a cat. Yes, I love it. Cat. Fishing. Oh my gosh, Chase, you're on fire. You're crushing it right now. Uh, but this is a different podcast. So it's a different podcast, same day. Uh <laughs> but we so uh Erebus like just you know leaves the horses again. And their plan is they're gonna have the horses, as we saw at the end of the last chapter, be attended to by one of uh Laz's servants and brought by a groom. Brought by a groom. He got uh, married. Yeah. Or he takes care of horses. Either or. Uh, could, Not a could groom been, her. He's a groom. It could have been could have been either. Could have been either. Uh, but uh, he's he's going to lead the horses there to wait for Erevis and to wait for Shasta. Um, and Erevis is now dressed as a superior slave girl, quote unquote, uh, to um, with a veil over her face, which is smart. Uh, and her and Laz uh, make their way through the palace, Erebus is, or Laz is trying to remember which direction and ends up picking the right way because plot. Uh, and then uh, they have to narrowly uh, avoid being seen by the royal 
uh, entourage, they see people walking backwards, which, as you know, Chase, only means that there's royalty coming by. Everyone walks backwards in my presence. It's, uh, that's, that's how you know that dun-dun-dun, the Tizrock, may he live forever. May he live forever. May he live forever. Is on his way, and there, he's very close. And apparently, Laz is not as tight with old Tizzy as, we uh, as she would have had us believe. Yeah, they they duck into some room, which of course is going to be the room that they end up walking into, and hide behind a couch. And of course, Erebus's head is just peeking out from behind the couch so she can see. But don't worry, she's wearing a veil, so you can't see her as well. If I stand so still, I get to the point where I am invisible. Remember, they can only see movement. Yes, that is true. And so, apparently these, the Tizrock's slaves are deaf and dumb, which feels very rude. But <laughs> It's just adding insult to injury. Not only are you slaves, but you're deaf and dumb too. Like, that's just mean. Yeah, uh, this is, uh, this I guess, is written in the 50s, not, but not PC. But strate- strategically speaking, if you want, like, you know, slaves in your presence who, you know, can, like, you can talk about, like, affairs of the state those people aren't going to tattle on you yeah just so. ask the sbc don't don't have the note takers in the room <laughs> record the call oof moving on <laughs> uh so these uh these two deaf and dumb slaves enter before the tizrock may he live forever uh he who is apparently just a giant old man. He's very, very overweight uh, with a little pointed cap. Uh, Apparently wearing some super expensive jewels, like worth more than all of the Narnians are worth. Oh, yeah. 100%. Uh, he's, he's, very, he's dressed very frivolously, very extravagantly. But uh, apparently not attractively because Edmund is still hotter. Edmund, still a smoke show. Uh, Tizrock, may he live forever, not a smoke show. (laughs) And, uh, then as well, there is a tall young man who's looking to, you know, prove himself. And wouldn't you know it, her betrothed husband, uh, Hoshta Tarkin, who is described as a little humpbacked, wizened old man. Yep. It's, uh, why wouldn't she want to marry him? Like, I'm picturing the evil witch from Snow White. But as a man, you, you you don't want to get with him. I do not. Edmund is the smoke show here, not Ahoshta Tarkin. So, so tough luck, Ahoshta. Like you're just not that good looking. Yeah, it's a bad look for two thirds of this group. Yeah, but you know, at least there's one you know tall young man. Uh, but then there's the the Tizrock, may he live forever, who's not in great shape. Uh, Ahoshta, who is a humpbacked old man, uh, and two slaves who are deaf and dumb. So this is quite an entourage. Yeah, and Erevis's name is not Esmeralda, so she's not into hunchbacks. But not into, well, Esmeralda is also not into hunchbacks. Oh, fair uh, that, the, the whole movie being about how, like, hey, don't judge people who are on the outside. The girl takes the guy that's really, really good looking. Oh, of course. It's still a Disney movie. <laughs> Disney is like, listen, like, you know, don't judge people from the outside. 
but would you want to get with this guy? <laughs> Come on. Like, let's be realistic here. <laughs> the only friends are statues. What are you talking about? He's crazy. Like, was, there's no way that she would like him. Like, come on. This isn't this isn't a fantasy show. Yeah. Uh, but the chapter ends with, you know, the door being slammed shut. They're locked in there. And the Grand Vizier kneels before the Tizrock. May he live forever. May he live forever. Chase, do uh, you have anything else before we dive further up and further in? I don't think so. So I'll, I'll start us off. Uh, my uh, further up and further end is the world that we left behind. Uh, and as you've heard me mention a lot already, uh, I like big Disney fan here. Uh, and this is a trope you're going to see in a lot of Disney movies and a lot of just fantasy and fiction stories in general, especially is the, the royalty, the, uh, the privileged person who lives their life, leaves their life of privilege behind uh, and in search of adventure, in search of something more. Uh, we think of Ariel. The princess of the uh, of the of the seas. Uh, her father is Triton, king of the ocean, uh, and she leaves her home to go and be with the love of her life, who she's never spoken to. Uh, you see, um, you see uh, Hercules the in the Disney animated movie, uh, not Greek mythology, because you know uh, that's a whole different story. Uh, wanting to leave his life to find his purpose elsewhere. You see Moana. Uh, want to leave her life of comfort. They literally sing a whole song about how everything you need is on this island and it's comfortable, but she wants adventure. She wants to go see and save the world. Uh, you see this throughout so many different stories uh, of the, uh, and the, you know, we've talked about Aladdin a lot uh, in the past couple podcasts and, uh, you know, Jasmine, uh, this like girl who has been raised in the palace her whole life wants something more, knows that there's got to be more for her. Uh, she is the uh, character in this story who is most like Erebus, who does not want to be forced into marriage, but wants to discover what life is like for herself. And she's willing to run away from the palace and, you know, meet people in the city and, and th see things that are not normal to her so that she can discover things for herself. Uh, it's this common uh, story piece in literature and fiction and fantasy where those who are raised in royalty and wealth and privilege often have this urge to leave. And once they leave, they see the limits that their previous life and their previous existence held. Uh, and now they get to experience the freedom and everything else that the world has to offer that can't be bought with money, that can't be earned with, you know, political power, uh, but is instead only experienced through, like, experience, through uh, truly just having fun and enjoying things and seeing what the world has to offer. Yeah. My further up and further in similar strand, something we talked about a few times throughout this conversation is it's kind of this uh, this big decision of comfort versus freedom. Erevis is at a crossroads here. She is confronted with her old life and has to really be faced with the, the decision she's making and a voice from her past calling her to choose, are you going to pursue this life of luxury and comfort and provision, or are you going to pursue your own freedom, your own agency, the ability to choose what you want to do, who you want to be, where you want to go, but 
you're not going to have the resource, or at least in her mind, she assumes she's not going to have the resources that she would be afforded in her old life. And throughout this story, throughout this chapter, the two girls are just talking past each other on what they should want. This money and power being this good that's held up by Laz and really just autonomy, the ability to be who she wants to be held up by Erebus and and neither of them understand each other anymore. Erebus is looking at her past life and she doesn't recognize it as something that's worth holding on to. Um, whereas Laz looks at Erebus's future life and says, why would you want to subject yourself to that when you could have all of this as the slow, low costs, five payments of $29.95. Um, and so, yeah, it really calls into question values. Value system is the thing that you look at to determine whether or not you should make one decision or the other, which direction you should go. And Erevis's value system has changed from the beginning of the story. It's no longer just, I don't want to be married. It's, I would rather be a Narnian. I would rather be free. And so that's a, it's an interesting dichotomy to explore and probably not as either or as they make it out to be, but it's uh, it's interesting nonetheless. Listeners, Chase and I have often asked ourselves this question of what's the purpose of such a beautiful and fancy podcast if no one's there to listen to it? And the way that you can help more people listen to this beautiful, rich, expensive, uh, well-produced uh, podcast is... <laughs> Let's not get ahead of ourselves here. Chase, uh, it's it's an illusion. Uh, is uh, the way for you to help more people see the beauty in this podcast is to uh, rate and review us wherever you found us. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, wherever you found us, find us again. Rate us five stars. Leave an awesome review. Really helps people find us and listen to our podcast. Share our podcast with all your friends, your families, your neighbors, that weird guy who uh, you don't know who uh, may just stand in the corner. Tell them about it, too, uh, and we'll have a great time. Uh, go follow us on Instagram at, at the Chronicles of Podcast. Uh, go comment on our posts. Tell us what you like to hear. Tell us what you like the most. Tell us, you know, if, if there's anything you dislike, uh, maybe be gentle and, and tell us about those things, too. Uh, but we'd love to just interact and engage with you guys on social media. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, we we just ask that uh, you, you you just you know get get in the get in the podcast and, and uh, let us you know take you back to a place where you know you're gonna be well taken care of. If not, you know you, you may not be rich, but it's gonna be good. May he live forever. May Tisra. May he live forever. May he live forever. <laughs>
Like we're just talking, talk, 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 red robin, yum. And we just keep talking through and <laughs> just keep blasting just past. Keep Don't acknowledge what you just said and just keep going. They're like, did they just say red robin? I think they, uh, they did. Just treat it like we said something about racism or the SBC. Just keep rolling. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>